everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about stocks and bonds. Uh, and stocks and bonds are two of the major asset classes that individuals invest in. Um, and I specifically want to talk about the risk in stocks versus the risk in bonds. Uh, and specifically why I think that over a long period of time, uh, stocks are not uh, as risky as bonds. When many people say that bonds are less risky than stocks, I think it is the other way around over the long period of time. Uh, and I want to provide you evidence along that same path in today's episode. So stick around for all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan. And that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. Now in finance, there is this idea and this idea is the relationship between risk and return. And all else equal, more risk should lead to more return. And this can be for many cases, right? Um, one of the simplest would be just the thought process of, let's say, taking out a loan, right? If you're taking out a loan uh, and you have a very low credit score, that signifies to the bank or whomever is giving you the loan that you are not extremely credit worthy, right? You uh, aren't extremely responsible with uh, your money or with the debt that you already have. And so what do they do if you have a low credit score? They typically offer you higher rates on your debt. So what does that mean? That means that the bank is taking on greater risk by loaning you money, right? Uh, but they also require a greater return for the amount of risk that they take on. And that uh, persists throughout uh, the, you know, different financial assets and financial classes. Now, when it has come over the long term to stocks and bonds, uh, it is traditionally held that bonds are not as risky as stocks are uh, and therefore uh, that's why bonds have lower returns all else equal than stocks over a long period of time and it's not a bad argument i understand where the argument comes from because bonds they only rely on one thing to happen and one thing to be the case and that one thing is that the company or the issuer of that bond has the money to pay you for the bond right? Because all a bond is, is debt, right? Uh, it's debt that has some interest rate associated with it, and then a return of principal at the, at the end of the life of the bond. And so uh, all that a bondholder is going to care is that you have enough money to pay them for that particular bond uh, that they purchased. But a stockholder actually cares about performance. And performance is uh, a much higher bar to be set than just solvency or uh, short-term liquidity, right? Uh, the performance of a company is what's going to drive its stock higher and higher and higher. So being a stockholder 
means that you are looking for more than just a firm's ability to make some fixed payments uh, and repay some debtors over time. You're actually looking for growth, right? You're looking for expansion. You're looking for continuations uh, of the things that they may have done in the past or, uh, you know, new things to occur in the future. You want growth, right? And bondholders don't care about that. And so naturally, growth is a riskier idea than just solvency, right? Solvency is just being able to pay your bills, uh, but growth uh, is requiring that you are having to innovate and do new things all the time. And so that makes stocks sound riskier than bonds, rightfully so. But the problem here uh, is that there are a lot of risks associated with bonds that are not associated with stocks. Uh, one just off the top of my head is interest rates, right? Uh, as interest rates are moved by the Federal Reserve, by the powers that be uh, you know, throughout the world, all the different central banks, that's going to impact uh, the cost of debt. That's going to impact uh, the return you can make on bonds. It's going to impact the price of bonds, right? As uh, interest rates rise, the price of bonds decline, and uh, the opposite is also true. As interest rates drop, the price of uh, bonds increase, okay? So the price can be impacted without there being anything going on actually within uh, the issuer of the particular bond. Not to mention, uh, bonds are not good hedges against inflation, all right? Uh, and the reason for this is quite simple, right? If you were to make the exact same salary today in 10 years, right? Think about how much less you could buy as far as goods and services 10 years from now on the same salary. Now think about 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, right? There are 30-year bonds, and those 30-year bonds are going to pay you the exact same amount every single year from now into 30 years from now, right? The exact same dollar amount. And what do we know about that dollar amount? It's going to become less and less valuable over time, right? Because it is a fixed amount. But with stocks, right? So that's bonds. And so uh, inflation is eating away at the purchasing power of your money. But with stocks, right? The growth is, is actually helped with inflation, right? As inflation occurs, it likely occurs within uh, these companies in which you own stocks and uh, they increase the price of their goods and services, which increases their top line, which increases their bottom line, which increases the stock price, right? So they can be good long-term hedges against inflation. And even more than that, uh, and this is what I really want to talk to you about today, I want to talk to you about holding stocks and bonds and exactly what this looks like uh, over a long period of time and why uh, stocks are not as risky uh, as bonds are uh, over a long period of time. Maybe in the short term, but not over a long period of time. So uh, let's begin. And this evidence that I'm using today is from the book Stocks for the Long Run, which I've done an episode on before, basically reviewing the book. It's Jeremy Siegel's uh, you know, big work that's been done, multiple editions. And uh, the numbers I'm going to give you today are from the fifth edition uh, and the data ends in 2012. But um, I've seen very similar things done uh, with the more recent data as well. But it, the data for this particular chart I'm about to uh, give you guys is from 1802 uh, to 2012. And I believe the other one is uh, as well. Okay, so uh, really, really long period of time for stock returns. Uh, but it's going to show you something that's quite striking uh, that may kind of make you step back and go, um, why wouldn't I hold stocks over a long period of time? Because that's the point of this book. The point of this book is, hey, invest in stocks and do it over the long run. And so that's what he's trying to make the, the case for. So 
what this particular chart looks at uh, from his book is the highest and lowest real returns on stocks, bonds, and treasury bills over a 1, 2, 5, 10, 20, and 30 year period. Okay, so the, the chart's basically saying, okay, what was the highest return you could have made being invested in this asset class? What is the lowest return you could have made being invested in this asset class? Uh, and then ultimately um, over the different time periods, seeing how it changes, okay? So let's say, let's just begin with stocks, okay? If you invested in an all stock portfolio for one year, right, over that time period, the highest annual return you would have made uh, on a real you know basis, so an inflation adjusted basis is 66.6%, okay? And the lowest uh, return that you would have made is 38.6%. So there's a wide gap between the best and the worst thing uh, that could have happened in a year. And that's why uh, when I'm telling you guys about like emergency funds and things like that, how you shouldn't invest them because there's a likelihood you could lose in a year 38.6% and uh, even more so uh, in shorter periods of time. So you could lose large amounts of money in a short period of time in stocks, but you could also make 66.6% in real terms uh, in stocks over the course of the year, which is a fantastic rate of return. Now, let's that's if you held stocks for one year. That's the best and the worst. What if you held stocks for two years, okay? The best uh, return over two years uh, was 39.4%, and the worst return... Uh, was 31.7%, okay? So uh, here we're basically saying, okay, uh, the high is a little lower and the low uh, is a little higher, right? So you're kind of shrinking the difference between the high and the low compared to the one year, okay? Then for a five-year holding period, 27.3 would have been the best uh, and negative 11.9 would have been the worst. So again, uh, decreasing again the difference between the highest high and uh, the low is low. And then if you held stocks for 10 years, right, 16.8% uh, would have been uh, the best 10-year uh, annualized return that we have there. Uh, and the worst would have been negative 4.1%. Okay, so again, it's shrinking, it's shrinking. But uh, something that is very marked here is that the low is coming way closer to zero a lot faster than the high is. So just keep an eye on that as we move to the 20-year holding period. Okay, 20-year holding period, the best annualized returns were 12.6% annually. So you could have made 12.6% per year over that 20-year period. The worst, 1% annually. Okay, so what does that tell you? That tells you that over the period from 1802 to 2012, if you can hold stocks, for 20 years, you will every single time make money, regardless of when you are invested, because that is the worst case, right? The worst case is you made 1% annually uh, over a 20 year period, right? So no matter when you begin investing, 1% was the worst that you could have made. And then you increase to a 30 year holding period. Uh, the best 30 year holding period annualized was 10.6% annually, and the worst was 26 annually. So again, uh, you are guaranteed to make positive returns over a 30-year period uh, based on history. Uh, and the worst you could have done was 2.6% per year, which is 100% not good. I'm not saying that's good, right? I'm just saying if it was the worst of the worst, if you held stocks over a long period of time, you made real positive returns uh, over that time period. 
Okay, so what do we see there? We see uh, that the highest high gets lower and lower and lower as you uh, increase the number of holding period years, right? And then the lowest low gets closer and closer to zero and then ultimately becomes positive over that time period. So what does that tell you? That tells you that the longer you're holding stocks, uh, the less variation there is uh, in the returns. And then not only that, the longer you hold stocks, the more likely you are to make positive returns almost every single time um, you know, on an annualized basis. So that's stocks, okay? But we don't just want to talk about stocks. We're comparing it to bonds. So if we compare stocks to bonds, uh, it on a one-year holding period basis, right? And this is all bonds here. Um, bonds, the best year bonds had on a one-year period was 35.2% positive, okay? That's compared to the 66.6% .6 uh, for stocks, right? So you would see a big variation there between bonds and stocks. So you would expect that, okay, uh, that means stocks are riskier, so they make a greater return. Well, just hold that thought, okay? Um, so that's the best return. Uh, the worst one-year return was 21.9%. That's compared to the 38.6% uh, negative for stocks, okay? So that's uh, quite a big loss, but uh, it is not near as big a loss as uh, the stock market. Now, two-year period, uh, bonds, best two-year period, 24.7% annually, uh, and the worst, 15.9% annualized loss. Then over a five-year period, 17.7% annually, with um, the worst being a negative 10.1% uh, return over that five-year period. Uh, then you have the 10-year uh, period. Now, the 10-year period is where things get interesting. Okay, and the reason that things get interesting is because if you kept it up with the numbers from the one, two, and five-year periods, uh, in every case, the highest stock return was greater than the highest bond return, and the lowest stock loss, um, or the I guess the greatest stock loss, right? So the greatest loss uh, would have been more of a loss than the greatest bond loss. But that changes here, right? That changes when you get to holding bonds versus stocks over a ten-year period. So. If you held stocks for a 10-year period, remember it was 16.8% annualized on the positive, right? It's the best 10-year period, right? The worst 10-year period was negative 4.1% loss, okay? With bonds, the best 10-year period is 12.4% annually as a gain, but the loss on bonds over a 10-year period is greater than the loss uh, in stocks over a 10-year period, the loss is 5.4% annually, okay? So uh, you see there that, you know, you get this greater holding period and all of a sudden what happens? What happens is, yeah, the highs are greater for stocks, but the lows also aren't as bad, okay? And then you continue on. You continue on to the 20-year holding period, right? And remember, we get to 20 years and stocks were positive every single 20-year period, right? And every 30-year period, stocks were positive every single 30-year period. That's not true for bonds, okay? The best 20-year period for bonds, 8.8% annualized, which is lower than stocks. And the worst um, 20 years for bonds was negative 3.1% uh, returns, which is 4.1% below uh, the worst for stocks, right? Because the worst for stocks is 1% positive. Then you go to 30 years. The best 30 years for bonds, 7.8% annually. And the worst was 2% uh, negative returns annually.
Okay, so what does this tell us and what does this chart show us? And uh, if you want to look this up, this is figure 6-1 uh, out of stocks for the long run from Jeremy Siegel, right? Uh, so what does this tell you? This tells you that, yes, in the short run, stocks are more volatile than bonds, right? And stocks can go way up or way down over the short run, right? But over the long run, stocks actually... Uh, have a higher likelihood of providing you positive real returns, right? And they are going to provide you greater positive real returns, right? So why would you not invest in stocks over the long run versus bonds, all else equal, okay? So if that's not enough evidence, if that's not enough uh, of a way to say, hey, bonds are riskier than stocks over a long period of time because they're, like I was saying, you have this variation uh, between the highest and the lowest, which becomes higher for uh, bonds there at the 30-year holding period. And uh, bonds still can have a loss over a 30-year period where stocks never have, right? If that's not enough evidence for you, let's talk about portfolios, right? And let's talk specifically, right? If you have a portfolio that can only be made up of stocks or bonds, okay? And you look over one-year period, two-year period, 5, 10, 20, 30 year periods, right? And you are looking to make the lowest risk portfolio you can, right? Just out of stocks and bonds, you're looking to make the lowest risk portfolio. So you want to mix the assets in a way that you will minimize risk, not maximize return, minimize risk. That is the key, okay? So if the, these numbers were run uh, in Jeremy Siegel's uh, book, and if you were to hold um, the portfolio for one year, right? The minimum risk portfolio in one year uh, over this long, long time period would have been 13% uh, in stocks and 87% in bonds, okay? So what does that, that tell us? That speaks to the, um, the short-term volatility of stocks. That tells you you don't want to hold a lot of stocks in the short term, right? Because they're more volatile. You'd rather hold a lot of bonds in the short term. Right now, if you were to have held a hundred percent stocks for one year, uh, the standard deviation uh, for that one year would have been up to eighteen percent uh, standard deviation of returns, uh, and then would have had um, an average annual real return of eighteen percent uh, on average. So a lot of variation that eighteen uh, percent standard deviation, but that eight percent annual real return that uh, is the highest that you'll see of an all stock portfolio. Now, if it was an all bond portfolio, obviously the uh, risk decreases quite a bit um, and the uh, return also does with the return for uh, that one year period being around 4% on average on an annualized basis. Now, if again, you're looking at a minimum risk portfolio and you're saying, okay, what about two years, right? You hold a, a portfolio only uh, comprised of stocks and bonds for two years, what would be the asset allocation uh, if I wanted to minimize risk? Again, it's 13% stocks and 87% bonds. So really not much changes uh, over a one or a two-year period. Now, then you get to a five-year period, right? You get to a five-year period. And again, we're trying to create a minimum risk portfolio. Well, at this point, you begin to hold more stocks. So you would hold 25% stocks and 75% bonds to minimize risk in your portfolio. Again, we're not maximizing returns. We are just minimizing risk here. Then uh, you go, okay, well, that's a five-year period. What about 10 years? 10 years, you want to minimize risk, 39% stocks 
and 61% bonds, okay? So the percentage of stocks is increasing and increasing as the holding periods increase, right? Now, what does that tell us? That tells us uh, that stocks are better at mitigating risk the longer that you hold them, right? Uh, they have this smoothing effect uh, on returns relative to bonds over a long period of time, right? So 39% stocks over a 10-year period would be the minimum risk portfolio. And this is where it gets really interesting. And this is where my point is most heavily made. My point is most heavily made when you get to uh, the 20 and 30 year holding period. So for a 20 year holding period, right? To minimize the risk in your portfolio of just stocks and bonds, you would have on average held 58% stocks and 42% bonds. So you would have held more stocks than bonds over a 20 year period to minimize the variation, to minimize the risk in your portfolio. Right. Um, and so what this means is that over a 20 year holding period within this data, uh, the average years, the average 20 year period for stocks had lower standard deviation than the average 20 year period for bonds. Right. Which is a bit striking. So that tells us, you know, if we have a long term time horizon, then, you know, stocks can be a less volatile uh, way to invest than bonds. Right. But again, we're minimizing risk, 58% stocks, 42% uh, bonds. Then you get to the 30-year, right? 30-year holding period, which if you're my age, you have 30 years to hold what you have, right? So this can really, really speak to you. 30-year holding period. What percentage do you think uh, it would be in stocks? It is 68% stocks, 32% bonds to minimize the risk of the portfolio. So over a longer period of time, over a 30-year period, 68% stocks and 32% bonds would minimize the risk of just a stock bond portfolio. That is striking, right? That's amazing. That's outrageous, right? Uh, because what that tells us uh, is that over the long term, again, the variation of stock prices is not as much as that of uh, the bond returns and the bond prices, okay? So this really speaks to this fact uh, that if we are trying to decrease risk, right? If we are afraid of long-term risk, then maybe going to bonds is not the best way, right? Uh, and maybe running away from stocks is not the best way, right? Because we're finding here that stocks are actually really, really great investments to hold over a long period of time to minimize variation, not uh, to maximize variation. Now, of course, you could hold any different uh, portfolio of stocks uh, that may be more or less volatile here, but we're talking about the whole universe uh, of stocks here. We're not talking about uh, just one sector or one size or just the S&P 500 or whatever. We're talking about uh, more like the VTI. If you don't know what the VTI is, it's the Vanguard uh, Total Market Index Fund. Um, and so it would be something more similar to that than it would be uh, something that is specific to size or um, to growth companies or value companies or whatever, right? This is the totality. And what this totality shows is that in the short run, yes, bonds. If you're trying to minimize risk, bonds are the way to minimize risk relative to stocks. You don't want to hold too many stocks in the short run because you can get burned uh, because we go back to that previous chart and what do we find? We find that in the short run, you could have some absolutely horrible stock returns, right? But we find out that over a long period of time, if you hold a stock portfolio for a long, long time, a diversified, um, well-diversified stock portfolio over a long period of time, 
then what happens? Positive returns, which is big, right? Less variation of returns and greater upside, which all uh, are fantastic and all lead you to say, hey, stocks are good for the long run uh, and stocks are not uh, as risky as bonds over the long run. Uh, and so that kind of spits in the face uh, of this uh, you know, long-held wisdom uh, of the fact that um, you know, risk and return are perfectly correlated. Because, again, we take for granted the fact that uh, short-term variation and long-term variation do not have to be uh, the same. We, we think that since stocks can be so volatile in a short period of time, that they should also be very, very volatile in return over a long period of time. And that just has not uh, traditionally been the case. Right? What's traditionally been the case is that they decrease in volatility over time. And we think that since bonds aren't very volatile in the short term, that they're not going to be volatile over the long term. And it turns out uh, they are more volatile over the long term than stocks are, even though neither one is extremely volatile relative to the other over a long period of time. Right. So this is just something that we need to think about. And I think when we are constructing our portfolios, choosing our asset allocation, um, think about this if you have a long time horizon. If you have a long time horizon, um, maybe holding substantial amounts in bonds is just not the best way to go. Uh, not only are you not going to make higher returns, are you truly decreasing risk? Are you truly uh, coming up with the outcome that you want? Because really and truly, the, the outcome that anybody, in, in my opinion, anybody who holds bonds in their portfolio, the outcome that any of them want is stability relative to stocks because you know that the returns uh, are less. You know that you're not going to make the same returns. But if it's true that the stability and the lack of variation is not what you actually think it is, then are you willing to actually take the step uh, into stocks in the same way? I know stocks are scary in the short term, I, especially individual stocks. It's crazy scary in the short term, right? Uh, but that does not mean that we should not be a part of this market. It does not mean that we shouldn't take long-term viewpoints uh, and understand what the market has done historically. Because I think that's what Jeremy Siegel does um, in a fantastic way in Stocks for the Long Run, is he actually takes this long-term view uh, and really teaches you from history and just speaks straight based on the facts. Yes, he's trying to get a point across that stocks are great long-term investments and are the best way to invest over a long period of time, but he makes his point with data. And if you can make your point with data in the way that he has, um, it's it's pretty fantastic. So, End of the day, what am I trying to say here? What I'm trying to say here is not don't ever invest in bonds. That's not my position. That's not me trying to give you any type of investment advice in that way. What I'm telling you is that you hear me talk about the stock market so so much. Um, and some of you out there do have this preconceived notion that the stock market is so inherently risky and that the stock market has so much variation and so much, um, you know, just vulnerability that you're afraid of it. And what I am trying to get across to you is that in the short term, you are absolutely right. In the short term, you have the right to be scared of the stock market. But nobody, based on the data, has um, the ability to feel bad for you uh, if you miss out on long-term stock returns, right? That was not uh, you trying to decrease variation in that portfolio. That was you uh, not being privy to the fact that stocks are actually less risky over a long period of time than you actually think that they are. So that's why it's important for us to do the homework, actually pay attention and not just listen to talking points and, and see what you know some other people have done and just take it as law. Maybe you need to actually look at 
the numbers. Read some of these books. Read Stocks for the Long Run. Read uh, The Intelligent Investor. Understand uh, what these things are trying to tell us and what they speak to time and time again as that stocks are and will likely continue to be the best game in town uh, because making money off of the growth of companies over a long period of time is an absolutely fantastic way uh, to build your wealth. And not to mention, uh, anything that you're able to hold for 30 plus years um, is likely to uh, give you some you know, pretty good growth, right? If something is stuck into an index for 30 plus years, you're likely to get some good growth out of it. Uh, and ultimately, if companies are staying in indexes over uh, a 30 year period, that means that they are remaining profitable and doing some things that are going to be good over long periods of time. Whereas again, bondholders, all that they care is that they, uh, that they end up getting paid off. Um, they don't necessarily care too much about uh, the fluctuations in price, which can be a deterrent to long-term returns in bonds. So again, not deterring you from bonds, but just telling you stocks are the best game in town um, and stocks for the long run, holding stocks for a long period of time is absolutely uh, a good idea. And they are less risky uh, by these measures uh, than bonds if you hold them for long time horizons. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.